0: Welcome back to another episode of the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Coming at you once again, solo, driving in my truck, in between uh, my work work hunts and my personal hunt. So I apologize for the, the two back-to-back episodes of me driving around talking to myself and you guys happen to listen to it. I guess you don't have to listen to it, but I appreciate that you are. And hopefully, you know, I, as I thought about the situation with the podcast, especially during hunting season where, um, it's just, especially with my job now, that's, you know, very hunting specific. And so there's, there's things there that I'm going to get more busy with during the fall and then my own hunts. And I just realized that, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't have 10, 15 episodes built up. Um, you know, maybe next year I'll try to do that so that I don't, you know, have to just sit here and talk to myself. But, um, because of that, there was two options. You know, I could either not put out an episode for who knows, you know, three, four, five weeks, six weeks or whatever until things calm down or, um, try to bring value real quick on, you know, kind of a, what I'll call a micro episode, not the typical hour and 15 hour and a half. Q&A type podcast with a guest uh, that I typically do, but instead just kind of a short burst um, so that I can, you know, I can keep giving feed feeding you with valuable content that hopefully, you know, you can just pull one thing out of and, you know, it, it continues to be a reason why you listen to the podcast. So um, that's what I wanted to do here. And, and not that this will necessarily be valuable, um, what I want to talk about here, but it will Hopefully just be, um, you know, informational and, you know, so I'm on my way to uh, backcountry, high country, Colorado, archery, mule deer hunt. I think I mentioned that before in the last episode. And so I thought, man, what a, what a good time. I'm, I'm pretty dialed on my, on my archery setup. And, you know, maybe some of my backcountry gear, some just kind of last minute um, changes that I've made as I'm getting packed up for this hunt and I thought you know that I think that'd be a a good episode guys seem to geek out not guys uh, but listeners seem to geek out on on gear and I haven't really gone over my my full archery setup I don't think on this podcast at least maybe on someone else's but um yeah so I'm just going to dive into that you know this is a as far as the hunt, uh, you know, kind of a week long. It's actually turned into a solo hunt, which is uh, is good. It's it's something that uh, you know we I didn't plan on Jason was going to come. Some scheduling conflicts with his work and another hunt that he's helping with, and so he didn't wasn't able to isn't able to make it over. And so, um, yeah. It just kind of happened, and so I've got about an eight, I think seven or eight days, at least seven, um, up to eight or nine day uh, solo backpack hunt for uh, archery mule deer in Colorado in front of me right now. I'll be at the trailhead in in a couple hours, and so this will be, you know, you never know. I mean, maybe I'll tag out on the first day, and it only turns into a one-night trip, but probably not. And so this will probably end up being the longest that I've actually, uh, solo backpack hunted. Uh, you know, I've done quite a few little three or four day bursts, uh, solo, but this will be, you know, if this goes the full, the full nine innings, so to speak, it'll be the longest, uh, solo hunt. And so that's, I'm excited about that because, um, you know, because it's, man, it's exciting, it's, uh, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, kind of that unknown, um, you know, just something new, trying something new, I'm a little bit nervous about it, and that's good, you know, pushing yourself, and so, yeah, Um, that being said, you know, I maybe just kind of naturally can talk about some of my backpack gear real quick, and then I'll get into my archery setup, and then I'll wrap this up, but, um Let's see, some things, some new things that uh, that I'm going to try this year that I have, you know, I, so I switched, this isn't a big deal, but I switched up my water bladder, um, and, and I don't know why exactly, but um, I went from the MSR, kind of that uh, dromedary style uh, uh, water hydration bag, uh, to a, a camelback. That I think it's the, they call it like the MilSpec Camelback or something. I don't know. Um, I literally had no reason to switch it up other than just I've had that bag for going on 10 years. And when you have a, a hydration bag that long, I think for some reason you just feel like it's about to pop or, or bust a hole. Or, I don't know. It's probably a dumb decision, but switch that up. The other thing that I like is that uh, MSR bag. It doesn't have a really good, like, hook on the top to hang. And a lot of these packs now, like um, the kafari that I'm taking, has got kind of a little uh, water bladder, just a a strap turned into a, you know, a loop that you can hang your water bladder from. So we'll see. Not a big deal. Um, I've got a lot of stoveless food items this year. Kind of a, you know, hybrid Brady Miller type deal. Uh, not completely. I'm still packing a stove, but you know, more so just I don't know, just trying it. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not smart enough to sit down and um, calculate out the differences in weight, and you know, maybe I should go completely stoveless or not stoveless at all or or uh, or or stay completely with a stove. I mean, but I don't care. I'm just kind of trying. Most mostly the breakfast I've got like four out of my eight days are kind of that um, that shake-type, you know, superfood mix, oatmeal and stuff like that. And, you know, another reason that I tried this, and this is, I think, something valuable to take from this, is it it depends, right? It depends on the unit, and it depends on the year, uh, especially. Last year in Nevada, you know, super dry anyway, and then had a terrible moisture snow year, as we all remember, and we there water was just non existent up there. And it would have been a horrible year to have a stoveless, you know, because a lot of this stuff, um well, I say that, when you run the stove method you gotta have water too, but um like with the the breakfast and stuff like Brady's got you mixing all the, the protein powders and stuff like that and I just feel like you know, it, it, it just seems like it requires a lot more water. Maybe I'm making that up. It's probably not, but um, there's just going to be water everywhere up here. Um, high country Colorado on a heavy, heavy snow year, I'm guessing there will still be, you know, snow banks probably. I don't know, but there will definitely be uh, more water than there was in Nevada last year. So, you know, some of those mills that require a ton of water, I was like, yeah, let's, you know, I'm just going to try that, so. I got a lot of the like mac and cheeses and the powder, you know, meal replacement powder breakfast deals and stuff like that. So, um, let's see, is there anything else in my gear worth worth bringing up? Um, you know, no, oh, uh, finally picked up a Goal Zero, and man, I don't know, I uh, I'm still. <laughs> I know it's going to be worth it. The weight—I'm um, referring to the weight. You know, when I, I picked up—I think it's the Nomad Seven, I want to say—and gosh, I was hoping those things would be a little bit lighter. I've I've been around them when other guys pack them in, or you know, we have our pack llamas or whatever. This is 100% on my back, and I was planning on Jason being there, and so it's a lot easier when you've got a partner to you know have a luxury item like that. I would I would call it um, that weighs a little bit more than you would like, because you can kind of, you know, like maybe I could give my stove and my, you know, my fuel to him. And then I could pack the, you know, you can kind of offset weight that way. I'm going to be a hundred percent solo on this. And so I'm not super excited about packing it, but I know once I get it in there, especially if there's, you know, a little bit of service or I'm, you know, constantly filming little, you know, snippets on my phone as I'm stalking or, um, phone scope and bucks and stuff like that, that I'm going to be super glad I packed it. And, you know, like Aaron Snyder says, I guess, and I, I like this theory, um, who cares about weight if it's something that you know you need, right? And that's that's kind of where I'm at there. You know, it's kind of funny to say that backcountry hunting nowadays, we, we need uh, solar power to power our cell phones on a solo backcountry hunt. But it's just kind of the world we live in, so I'm gonna go for it. We'll see. Maybe I'll uh turn around 100 yards up the trailhead and then leave it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's uh three things kind of off the top of my head. Now I want to jump into my archery setup and just kind of go piece by piece. Um, explain you know what my bow setup looks like and my arrow setup and kind of why and what I did. and... Yeah, and then just leave you with that, and I'm going to get into the hills and and be hunt, uh, you know, at least be hiking here, and then and then hunting tomorrow. So it's going to be exciting. But so this year, for the first time in a long time, um, completely broke ties with any sort of archery, uh, you know, any sort of archery deal or sponsorship or pro deal or whatever discount the heck you want to call it. Um, not that we ever were. You know, we we weren't getting a check or anything from from an archery company or anything like that, but we were. You know, Hoyt was we were getting discount bows from Hoyt, and so they're they're great. They are seriously great. Um, li- have nothing bad to say about a Hoyt or any of the Hoyts that I shot. Um, perform flawlessly, hundred percent. Recommend them if it feels, you know, like the bow that you should be shooting when you when you test them out. And, and that's the key, and that's where we wanted to – at least I wanted to go this year. I know Jason and, and Corey are kind of in that boat, too, at least. Um, you know, it just kind of got to the point where we said, you know, this would be a good opportunity to um, just go completely unbiased on this and, and go shoot every bow. It had been – you know, I worked at an archery shop back in, let's see, 2012, 13, 14 – and so it had been, you know, it's been five or six years or whatever that is since I was really like into the industry and, and knew how each new bow shot, uh, you know, generally, and had my had a, a real good feel on the on the bows that were out. And so, yeah, just took it as a chance to go shoot every bow. So I did, and you know, I hundred percent believe nowadays you cannot walk in and pick a bow from any of the, like, let's call it the, you know, the big seven or super seven, or I don't even know if it's seven. I'm just pulling that out of my, out of my head. It seems like about seven. Let's count them. Um, Hoyt, uh, Matthews, Bowtech, Prime, PSE. uh, I know I'm missing some, and guys are going to be pissed, but um, uh, Obsession, um, I'm missing a bunch. I'm sure I am. But, you know, that's whatever, seven or eight. That's kind of the, seems like the big ones. But, and anyway, my point is, is everyone I think now is making such a good bow and technology's kind of, I feel like it's caught up and just kind of been at a standstill with bows for the last three to five years or whatever, meaning not much changes on bows in the last three to five years, if you want my honest opinion. Um, and so as I hit the rumble strip, I promise I'm driving safely, but, um, yeah, it's more of a, a personal feel thing. Cause you're not, you're not going to go wrong now. I believe that there are specs, you know, different specs and builds of bows that 100% matter and will make you a better shooter or a worse shooter. Um, if you're new to archery and you have, let's say that you have a 31 inch draw like I do and you are new to archery and you go in and you pick up a 28 inch axle to axle bow with a six inch brace height. I'm just pulling this out of my head. I don't have a specific bow in mind. Um, and you try to shoot that. It's just, it's not going to be as accurate as if you picked up a bow with say a seven inch brace height that was a 34 axle to axle, um, as a new shooter, you know, just, it's, it's going to be really hard and not as forgiving uh, of a bow to be as consistent with and so I believe in for me I chase I chase feel and I chase specs if that makes sense I'm a lot more interested in the specs of how a bow is built and how it feels on the shot and the draw than I am you know about the brand for sure so that's what I did shot every bow I could get my hands on and I shot you know I don't know 80 or 90 percent of all those Big manufacturers, and at the end, it was clear to me that the Matthews Traverse was all around the best feeling, shooting, and and specked out bow for me personally of all of those, and so that's what I went with. Um, I'm gonna pull these off the top of my head, and so I'm gonna be off. You know, there's probably like five 8s and stuff like that that I'm not gonna know for sure, but I want to say a 33 axle to axle. Uh, 70 pound max uh, draw weight and I actually think it is a six and five eighths uh, brace brace height excuse me. and so as you consider kind of you know I'm a 30 like I said 31 or I think a 30 and a half but I've you know long draw that was that is just about the perfect in my opinion and how I've shot that is just a sweet spot um, it's, it's an aluminum riser, which, you know, won't go into that. I don't think there's any problems with aluminum risers. Carbon's cool. Aluminum works and gets the job done too. And so it's a little bit, you know, it's heavier than I'm used to. My Hoyts, uh, carbon hoits that I had the last couple, you know, were usually under four pounds. I know this pulls over four pounds, I want to say, but it felt, just sweet man like just drew back nice um dead in the hand I know Matthews really well we were I was a uh we were a dealer of their bows and so I know how smooth they are on the draw I know how smooth they are on the release that I knew that wouldn't be a question for me um and I'll tell you what man like that bow it just it hits wherever I aim um if there's problem with it it's me and that's all you can ask and that's all you're looking for in a bow is a bow that when you draw back you know it's steady and it hits where you aim and so you know then you become the weak link in the whole system so that's what I felt like I got Um, compared to all the other bows it it was it was the uh, it led the way so that's what I went with paid full retail for it felt perfect about it felt really good Um, So that's what bow I'm shooting. Starting with the strings uh, anymore, the first thing that I tried to do is rip the factory strings off. Um, I don't know if it's changed in the last you know, whatever it's been, five years, but not a big fan of anybody's factory strings. And someone's going to say, well, yeah, but this bow company, they've got the blah, blah, blah. They've got really good uh, factory strings. Um, I think until you've shot some really good custom strings, you might think that, and you're probably wrong, but maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Uh, I went off a recommendation from my good friend Mark Smith. Knows bows, has known bows his, you know, his whole life at an extremely high level, and he was recommending uh, G A S uh, gas bowstrings. I um, want to say they're back yeast anyway, and so just off of blind faith in someone that knows a lot more about archery than i do that's what i went with and it paid off big because those are the absolute best uh any strings factory or aftermarket that i've ever shot um very well pre-stretched zero zero twist i'm i'm telling you i cannot get my peep to twist it's kind of funny because for the longest time now i've just gotten in the habit you know all my factory strings that i've shot or even some of my uh, Aftermarket strings that weren't as high of quality or as well made, um, the peep, you know, the peep never would stay in the in the right spot permanently and perfect. And so, for years, you know, fifteen years now, I've been in the habit of um, before I take every single shot, and a lot of guys do this. I've noticed, you know, you hook up to your D loop, and you've got an arrow knocked, and the the last thing that you do before you draw back is you twist that peep around the way that it, you know, against the, the the direction that it typically wants to twist. And and for at one shot at a time, you can kind of put a Band-Aid on the fact that that string's trying to twist your peep in the wrong direction, right? Well, I started shooting this string and it wasn't doing it. I still had the habit of reaching up every time. And finally, after like, I don't know, 20 or 30 shots, I realized like, why, why do I keep reaching up and, and touching my peep site because it didn't need to be adjusted. It never did. It hasn't moved. It's raw. It's been in the same exact spot every time. And I just finally realized it's out of habit. You know, it's a hard habit to break and you've been doing it 15 years for who knows how many thousands and thousands and thousands of shots. And so I, you know, it's like, I feel like, um, you know, uh, Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights. Like I don't know what I, I don't know what to do with my hands. I, I'm not uh, Ricky Bobby. I, I don't know what to do with my hands. Well, I don't have to twist my peep anymore, so that was nice. G A S bow strings. Highly recommend them. Um, so that was that's the only real like super custom thing I did on that bow. Everything else is just you know stock. Obviously colors and all that. Um, my sight. I have been running the same uh you know multi-pin like one pin multi-pin uh hybrid from spot hog Hogfather forever you know since i since i started working at the shop at shields years ago and so that's been i don't know i've had that site for whatever it's been six or seven years or whatever eight years um and just it's a it's a spot hog enough said right it's indestructible can't get it to break haven't had any problems with it. Continues to just work, and so until it gives me a reason to switch, I will not. And um, <clears throat> one little, one little uh, interesting, valuable story on that uh, was having a hard time getting my sight tapes to line up. I was using Archer's Advantage, which is usually just money for me, but for some reason on this, this setup and and this bow, I just. Like it just kept being off, especially as I got out to distance, you know, maybe I wasn't getting a good, good chronograph, uh, feet per second, or maybe I wasn't, you know, punching everything in, right? I don't know, but it just didn't matter what tape I put on. I like, I just kept being off. And so finally on the last tape that I put on, um, I was off, especially out past, like once I got to 50 yards. And so I had kind of calibrated in my head that anything beyond 50, I had to cut a yard um, or sorry, at a yard. So, you know, if it was a 57-yard uh, sight on my rangefinder dial for 57, I was actually going to dial to 58, and that seemed to kind of calibrate it out. Well, um, I've, I've always ran my, my hog father – well, not always, but this year I've ran it all the way out, meaning, um, you know, the dovetail that extends out, that 6-inch dovetail or whatever it is, I've always ran it completely extended. Um, was at the range with my good buddy uh, Mitch that I work with, who also shoots uh, a lot of archery, and he said, "Hey man, why don't you just bring that? Um, why don't you bring that sight in one notch on your dovetail, and see if that changing that perspective just a little bit on your eye um, should, you know, extend each of those ranges just a little bit? If that makes sense, because you know the way that that pin lines up with the angle of your eye, it's naturally going to just." You know if you bring that site in the same um, you know the same position it should make all those just stretch out a little bit more extreme if, if that's even making sense anyway whether it makes sense to you or not it worked and um, just by pulling that sight in you know one notch on my dovetail just hit the sweet spot and I'm telling you like I don't know that I've ever had a site that's been just right out you know once I made that correction and obviously it wasn't at first, but it is just squared up, perfect now. I mean, I'm we're we were uh, dropping bombs at you know 120 after that, and just absolutely nailing it. So no calibration in my mind or whatever, just holding straight up. So that's a it's a good feeling, right? I mean, that happened like three or four weeks ago, and there's nothing better than going into a season and just feeling. 100% confident in your setup there's a couple of turkeys off the side of the road man I'm seeing turkeys everywhere nowadays they're just I don't know maybe felt like as a kid you never saw turkeys uh, out west out here especially in southern Nevada and they're even they're even pushing out there I'm not a turkey guy and don't try to tell me that it's just like hunting elk because you've never hunted elk before just kidding but that's what people say and I don't like it so <laughs> um it's all in good fun so, anyway, back to the, the site, Got my, my spot hog hog father dialed. Um, I, I've always, ever since I started shooting a slider, I love it. Hasn't burned me yet. Um, I'm sure it will. Who knows? But up till this point, haven't had a reason not to run a slider, especially on an archery mule deer, high country hunt, where shots are typically on a bedded mule deer or, a, you know, a mule deer that doesn't know that you're there. And so you just you typically have that time um, and yet I've, I've done enough elk hunts with them that it's, you know, even bulls coming in, as long as you're smart about, you know, ranging, ranging trees and bushes and distances and stuff before that bull gets there. And as long as you're smart about having that second pin, right? I run that two pin post. So there's, there's actually two pins that I can reference. And as long as you're smart about knowing, I don't have an elk hunt, archery elk hunt this year, so I'm not super worried about it on this setup, but knowing that if you lock that 20 pin, or, or that top pin, sorry, at, say, 30 yards, knowing that you can cover from, you know, anything from, you know, 5 to, uh, say, 30 or uh, 40 or 45 with that top pin, and then once you get to 45, you know, you jump to that bottom pin, and knowing where that, that second pin is calibrated, and you can cover, um, if you just got to, you know, you can cover a pretty wide range there. I feel like you could, you know, if you locked it on thirty or thirty-five, you might be able to cover out to at least fifty or sixty with those two pins. So, um, but you know, it's all it's all relative to, to how much you practice and how well you're tuned up on your setup. So, uh, rest. I, again, I've been running QAD dropaways since I don't, as long as I can remember. Since I switched from a Whisker biscuit. And never looked back. Haven't had any problems ever that I can remember. This year, um, I bought the the Matthew specific because this bow is a little bit different. You actually don't run a screw through the burger hole. Um, it just mounts on a on a dovetail on the on the you know the belly or the back of the riser there that's facing the shooter. Um, I feel like it's a lot more. It's it's just locked in, right? That dove, this dovetail system on this new traverse. Um, with the problem with those, um, the old, the, you know, the, all the the uh, rests that go through the burger hole. In my opinion, is you know you've only got that, especially if you've only got that one point of, of locking through that burger hole on the rest. Is if it gets bumped it sometimes could you know it could still move a little bit and i know you you know you push those back against the riser and that kind of eliminates that and a lot of rests will have those like a set screw um but if you know if your riser is not set up perfectly with you know aluminum against the back of that where that set screw goes you know some of those bows they have the holes you know the holes cut in them and the riser or whatever and you can't you can't use the set screw so anyway this just seems like a more advanced system. Hopefully, it kind of stays with with this type of system going forward, and maybe other bow manufacturers. I don't know. It you know, it's it's super specific because you've got to run that rest on that bow. But anyway, for this setup, it's it's money. So, got that QAD. Um, excuse me while I take a drink. And, you know, it's just a dropway that ties into your, your down cable that's gone down. Um, pretty standard. Quiver uh, running just a, a Matthews two-piece. You know, I sometimes am skeptical about, you know, just like the factory quivers from the, the bow manufacturers. But this one is it's rock solid. I love two-piece quivers. It still fits. I can leave it on in my case. That's a big annoyance for me sometimes is those... Uh, Two-piece quivers that lock on the bows, they don't, you know, they protrude out far enough that you can't leave them in your case. This one I totally can. Works out perfect on the case that I have, so that's a huge plus. Uh, Six-arrow quiver, which, you know, anymore is, I actually would prefer a a little bit, maybe they have a four-piece, or they didn't have it when I bought it at the store or whatever, I don't know, but I just ran the six-arrow. And I'll just pack extra arrows in my, in my uh, backpack or whatever if I get to pack more in. Uh, what else my bow? B-stinger. I've been running a B-stinger uh, stabilizer, f- again, for a long time. No reason to. Uh, got a helicopter picking up water and heading to a, looks like a forest fire. I don't see the fire, but that's never a good sign when you're almost to your trailhead and there's a a wildland fire helicopter doing dumps on a, a fire—that's not good. But hopefully, it's not anywhere near my unit. Um, been running that bee stinger forever. I like the you know the weight out in the end with all the uh, kind of those uh, the discs you know or whatever they're called, uh, weight weighted uh, circles out on the end, and it's the longer the twelve-inch. Um, what else on the bow itself? What am I missing? Nothing. This is a standard peep sight. So my uh, arrow setup, um, it's like, man, again, this, this whole entire archery setup, I just feel like I've nailed it this year for what I like and how I like arrow setups and bow setups to be. Uh, running an Easton Access 260. Uh, which allows me to put that extra, you know, 100 and whatever grains up front that I, you know, in the, you know, long time ago I'd just be running a standard 100-grain head. Now I can run a 100-grain head but have, you know, an extra 100 uh, 100 grains in there uh, with these 260 spines. With my draw length, that's about about the sweet spot, 260s. Um, And they're still a relatively micro diameter, I would call them. Uh, the, the insert system on these, again, I, I feel like i finally figured it out. Um, hate the – generally, I don't like the hit insert system when you just run a standard hit insert from an Eastern Arrow that, that uh, screws in and, and mounts up the – you know, screws in flush and up, butts up against the carbon. Um, if, you know, if I ever missed or whatever, it just seemed like that carbon was super vulnerable and getting cracked and, you know, the arrow was no good. So for years, we ran the RPS, uh, steel deep six insert. That's got the, you know, a ring around the out, uh, a lip around the outside of the carbon. And that seemed to work a lot better, fix that problem because there was that buffer between, you know, your tip, your broadhead or whatever, and the carbon, well, the problem with that is deep six sucks, right? There's limited your broadhead selection dramatically. Um, you know, and so it just, it always kind of bugged me that I was forced to run deep six to set my arrow up how I wanted. Never been a huge fan of um, outserts. Again, million opinions. I'm sure you run an outsert system and you love it. That's great. It's just, you know, personally, I would rather not run an outsert system if I had to not saying that, that they're not good ones out there. I think that there are, um, you know, Easton themselves, they have a really, seems like a really high quality, but if I can avoid it, I'm going to, and I figured out a way to avoid it and still get that kind of buffer. So I'm actually running a hit insert. Um, I run a, a 50 grain, it's a 75 grain brass that I, I, uh, knock off 25, you know, they're, uh, You know, they're adjustable, so you can run them at 50 or 75. I run them at 50 uh, because the – and then I run an iron wheel, uh, like a footer sleeve, so, you know, thing that looks almost like how a traditional archer would run a a footing at the base of the arrow. So, you know, but it's got just a little bit of a lip, so it butts up flush against the carbon there. And – and, you know, you order the specific diameter for the specific arrow that you're running and, and they're just, their machining. It's perfect. And so it provides, you know, what seems like a little bit of a buffer on the, from the, the tip, the point to the carbon. Um, and then it provides, you know, a little more strength, like acts like a about an inch footing on that arrow. And then, and then also adds 25 grains So. I run the brass insert 50, I run the iron wheel uh, sleeve slash footer at 25, and then that allows me to just run a 100-grain head. And some people might be saying, well, why don't you just, you know, whatever, run a normal insert and then run a 100 and whatever, 75-grain head or 150-grain head or, or even a 125. Well, because if I can eliminate the surface area on my broadhead, then I just have a better chance, even if it's a mechanical, Right. Less surface area out on that tip, the better, in my opinion, for everything, wind drift and all that. And so why not, you know, add that weight to the insert or the um, the footing, the footer instead of the tip. So I purposely try to run 100 grain uh, tip. Now I've got a uh, standard insert so I can run whatever broadhead I want. I happen to be running the uh, severs. Always love the. Um, the Omer Edge, which, you know, the Sever is just a bought out, um, you know, revamp of the Omer Edge. And, you know, they made some really good upgrades. And, you know, the blades are sharp. That was one one thing with the Omer Edges we would see. I, if I remember, is the blades wouldn't always come super sharp. Easton East owns Sever, they fixed that problem. Um, and so, man. I'm not going to get into a fixed blade mechanical argument and all that you know stuff right now because that'll go on until the end of time. But um, I've just seen too much stuff die with mechanicals, whether it's a rage or or hopefully even the sever. Jason I think killed his uh, Utah archery bug just last week with a sever and you know just absolutely uh, dead, real real quick. So anyway, uh, and then on the back end of that, I'm running a. Uh, max Stealth, 3-fletch, three, three fletch, uh, right helical, uh, Max AAE, Max Stealth uh, with a little, just like a little 4-inch wrap, and I'm right at, I want to say 5, about that puts me about 570-ish, 560, I think, going off the top of my head, I think 270, between 270 and 274, I want to say. Um, man, just dynamite, like dynamite setup for me. Love it. Uh, relatively flat shooting still, but, you know, I don't really care about that or I'd be running a, you know, a 370 green arrow or whatever. I'm more interested in momentum and accuracy and broadhead flight, and I've got it. So, man, just, if you can't tell, I there's nothing about my setup that I'm just really complaining about or don't like. Nothing that's not working. And so, Yeah that's it um i've you know a scott i can't even remember what release um i years ago i used to shoot the little hair trigger scott's uh wrist wrist release now i actually look for a relatively heavy spring um because that gives me you know a little bit of a hybrid like pull through right so it allows me to set you know as soon as i get to full draw my finger goes onto my trigger um, so that I can just really get into that shot and, and focus on, you know, more on what's going on on the back half of my shot, as opposed to the front half, if that makes sense. So focusing on my release, my pull through, and I can rest that finger on there and start that process of just really easing through that trigger rather than, um, punching it like tends to happen on, uh, you know, a really super fine hair trigger. And so, I look for that super, not super heavy, but just a, a spring release. So, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm sure I'm missing something on my on my setup there that I didn't didn't talk about, but um, that's that's the bulk of it. So, uh, it's archery season. Heading into the, you know, I'm going to be at the trailhead here in an hour or so. I'll get this uploaded before um, I head up the mountain, hopefully. And so, you know, the last thing I'll say is just good luck this year. It's, uh, hunting season's here. It's what we wait for all year. Um, hopefully in a week or so I'll be out and give you an updated episode on, you know, how I killed some, some 200 inch buck. Um, it'll probably be more of a, you know, lessons learned on how I missed some big buck or something like that. (laughs) Uh, but we'll see, right? So, okay. Uh, until next time you guys, thanks for listening and good luck out there.